Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside on this nice, warm, but beautiful Southern California afternoon. My name is Trace. I'm I'm one of the uh, elders here. um, And we have been going through, as we started last week, uh, a new series as we've kind of just really been seeking the Lord on on what, what does the church need to hear uh, from us right now, you know, we started the year off in, in Genesis, and we are working through, um, you know, all the way up through. I guess we got through what chapter 18 or so, and and then we've got a little bit of interruption <laughs> with uh, life circumstances and and the situation um, the world finds itself in, and so we kind of paused that and went a different direction. And now we we really feel convicted. The Spirit is leading us to to address and put some some focus on. The basics, and so just if you haven't been with us two two weeks ago when I preached last, I posed the question to everybody that was here. I said, basically, why are you here? Other than you know trying to walk in obedience and do what we know we ought to be doing, um, what did you hope to gain from attending Pillar Church of Oceanside? And and I hope that you took that to to heart. You took an opportunity to to really ask yourself that question and answer that question honestly. What is it that you are hoping? to gain from being here. And then toward the end of the, the message, I, I also challenged us to really consider our, our own position, our stance before the Lord, if you will, uh, in terms of our salvation. Like there, there are, unfortunately, many across the, the world that consider themselves to be in the family of God and Christians, but have not really grabbed hold of what the gospel message really is and, and walked it out and lived it out and they're actually um, in a very dangerous place, thinking that they are saved and redeemed, and they're really not. And so I ended my time two weeks ago with a scripture from Mark, Mark 1.15, if you guys remember that. It was um, simply this, the, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That's kind of how I ended last time. And I said in my evaluation, as we we're looking at sort of re- reorienting our minds about what is important right now, in my evaluation, then and now, nothing's changed in two weeks, I think one of the most critical aspects that we need to have in our arsenal is a complete understanding of the gospel. Not only an understanding of it, but how to clearly communicate it to a lost and, and, and broken world. That's why I intend to, to spend really an entire two weeks, uh, this evening and next evening, next Saturday evening, Addressing this and really unpacking it for us, and and so that that's my goal in all of this. And, and last week, Mark did a great job in, in kicking us off in this firm foundation series by by really trying to identify the one true God. Our worship is for the one true God, and to maybe eliminate and uh, identify and eliminate some of the idols maybe that are popping up and competing for our attention. That we are worshiping the one true God. So, why the gospel? Obviously, it's a foundational thing, right? It is the very heart that we as Christians believe. It's what we need to rehearse to ourselves every day. And like I said, it's what we need to clearly communicate to a world who desperately needs to hear it, right? Do we ever move on from the gospel? Like, oh, okay, yeah, I got that. Um, what's next? Um, no, I heard, I heard a lot of emphatic no's. Yeah, we don't move on from the gospel. Do we grow and mature, and does our understanding of biblical doctrines grow and, and increase? Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, but we don't ever move on from the principles that shape the gospel message. Uh, it's like uh, Timothy Keller says, right? It's not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A's, the A through Z. It's all of it. It's all encompassing. Um, but here's the deal, right? If you ask 10 different people to define the gospel, what are you going to get likely? 10 different answers, right? How is that possible? Like, this is the foundational piece of our Christian faith. And if you ask 10 people, you're going to get 10 different answers. Like, how does that make sense? But it's the reality, and it's actually kind of scary. Now, are some of those, or all of those, perhaps going to have some elements of the gospel in there? Yeah, almost certainly, right? This is a major problem, though, because if we leave out some critical piece of information that is vital for the gospel message to be full and complete, then we're not giving the gospel. Right, so there's a lot on the line here. It's, it's, it's a serious situation here. So let's start out with, a, I think, some basic framework to kind of help shape what we're going to do this evening. Um, let me just ask, and if you're new, I, I do a lot of, you know, generally we do, like, a lot of back and forth. So if you're, like, not used to responding back, that's fine. Just, just, uh, just go with it. You're going to be okay, I promise. What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. I, I hear many of you saying that. So yes, check mark on the good news. So good good news like you're getting a raise, right? Or or like, you know, Mark is going to give you his 1983 Mercedes. You know, good news like that, right? Is that is that the kind of good news we're, we're talking about? Is it? No. No, it's not. I mean, it'll be great news. I mean, I don't want your your Is it 83? 72. 72, not even close. 72 Mercedes. Yeah. Um let me help clarify the phrase. I think if we use these words, it might be a little bit better to kind of help us understand what we're talking about here. How about best news? It's good news, but if we put it in the category of best news, like the best news that you will ever hear, I think that that helps us kind of gravitate toward the real issue at hand. Um, it's not that a raise or finding out that you're expecting or even purchasing a home aren't things to be extremely excited about because they are. Like, celebrate that stuff. That's awesome. However, all of those things, the raise, the baby, the house, those things are temporal. The gospel is what? We're talking about eternal things. We're talking about endless and everlasting. Those, those words are important. They're significant. They mean something. So uh, if you are in our Wednesday night life group, I see some of you that were here with us in our last uh, iteration of these Life groups, we went through a book called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. Uh, anybody that wasn't in that group familiar with that book? What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert? A couple of you. Okay. That's good. There, there not a lot of hands went up. That's okay. Because we went really uh, in-depth, I think, in, in our six-week study. Uh, so what you're going to hear tonight and next week, a lot of that is based on that study. Um, and it's going to help us sort of keep some, some structure in place. Because I think it's important as you... Take this information and begin to use it in your lives, and I pray that you would, that you have some sort of framework to operate in. Otherwise, you're just kind of like, what was that scripture, or what, what, what was that next piece? Like, Because remember, we talked about something missing from the gospel. Presentation is a dangerous thing. So structure, that's going to help keep track of that narrative in our minds. You with me? Okay, let's, let's pause, though, before I get any further, and let's just pray and ask for the Lord's help. Just pray with me. Lord, I, I do come to you right now so grateful for the body of Christ gathered together and Lord, so many that want to come around your word, come around the body of Christ, be ministered to by your word and by one another. And we're just grateful for the fact that we can, can freely gather here. Lord, would you, would you help us this evening to really 
really take to heart and understand with, with a, a greater depth of understanding and appreciation of the gospel, of this good news that, that we throw around fairly often, Lord, uh, in words that don't really amount to the reality that the gospel presents to the world. So help us, I pray, Jesus, as Mark prayed earlier, set aside all distractions, Lord, and help us to focus in, in this moment with this information, Lord God, this life-giving, life-transforming information. Speak through me, I pray, with boldness and with clarity, Lord God. Would you remove anything that comes from my mouth that is, that is not of you, that is containing any sort of error, Lord God, and just let the truth be what remains. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we got four, four main parts that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about two this week, and we're going to talk about two next week. So hopefully you can, you can be here for that. Um, I'm, I'm simple-minded, so I need simple things to help me stay focused. So we're going to do four parts. We're going to do four words to help with our structure in what we're talking about with the gospel. So four words that represent the four things, the four principles, the four truths that we need to understand. So... Um, those four words, if you're a note taker, if you just got a great memory, are this. God, man, Christ, response. Now, you may have heard different words associated in that, but essentially they're, they're going to communicate the same sort of thing. So God, man, Christ, response. And what we're going to do is take each one of those words and sort of build on them in order to, to flesh out and, and get us a complete picture of what we're talking about here. So God, um, more than that, we want to say that God is something specific. God is the righteous and just creator. These words that we're picking out here matter. It's not just like, okay, we'll, we'll use these words or next time we'll use these words. These words matter. God, the righteous and just creator. Okay, so that's what we got in mind right here. Let me just ask you, why is it important that we ought to know that God is creator. Why do you think that's significant? Just, just If you feel like throwing something out, you can. Otherwise, just, just internally think about that. Why does it matter that God is creator? Authority. That's, that's, that's a great word. In fact, we're going we're gonna to hit that in just a second. Um, that's good. But I, I also think one of the reasons why it's important in this day and age is that unlike 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago, however long back you want to go, Non-Christians today have very little understanding about the Christian faith or the Bible. You go back a generation or two, and there's at least some understanding of what the Bible teaches. That, that can't be said about today's culture. And the knowledge that they do have could be completely inaccurate and actually detrimental from them actually hearing and receiving the word. like They could believe something so false and so off that their mind is turned off from hearing anything that you have to say. So we start here because everything else builds on the idea that God is creator. We'll go back to the very beginning. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created what? Heavens and the earth. That is basically the universe and everything in it. Genesis goes on to say, that he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So, contrary to popular belief, we are not the result of random chance and genetic mutations. 
Like, it's a conversation for another day if you want to unpack that with us, but that's not the reality that we're talking about here. Beyond that, we were created by a loving God. So in that, we have purpose. You have a purpose. You being here today is the direct result of the action of God himself. How amazing is that? Like, God did something and you were here. <laughs> His creative power. That's tremendous. But here's where we get to the kind of the meat of things. In acknowledging this idea that God is creator comes the reality that God as creator has the right and authority to tell his creation how they ought to live. And he does. And we don't like it. Right? That's a sticking point for a lot of people. Even some Christians, if we're honest, sometimes is hard because we don't like being under authority. We just don't like it. That's part of our fallen nature. We push back against it. But as creator, let me ask you this. Don't you think that God knows exactly what we as his special creation needs? Does he know what exactly what we need? So should there be any doubt that what he tells us in how we ought to live is good for us? <laughs> there should be no doubt. Like, you created us. You have Not only do you have the authority to tell us, but you know what we need. So certainly what you tell us is going to help us, encourage us. It's for our good and for your glory. But then there's this idea then also that God is righteous. He's a creator, and he has the authority, and he does tell us how to live. But what about this idea of righteous and just? Why is it important to know and understand that God is righteous and just? What is it about those two words that matter? Maybe you've heard, you've heard this. Many people, and I do think many people, believe that God is going to do one of two things when it comes to dealing with them. He's either going to look at the, the quote-unquote dirt in our life, the mess, the sin. He's either going to look at that and sort of sweep it under the rug and be like, yeah, you mess up, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, look at that guy over there. You know, so he thinks somehow, we think, somehow he's just going to sweep it under the rug. That's one thing. Or God's going to look at our lives. Is he going to weigh out the good and the bad? And we're going to just pray that those scales tip in the direction of us doing more good than bad and thereby escaping some sort of punishment or, or, or judgment. Have you ever heard anybody say any of those two things? Right? Maybe you have, hopefully. And then they go on to argue that for someone sinning against God to be punished would be unloving. Oh, God would never do that. That's just unloving. How could a loving God punish from somebody like that? Anybody heard somebody say that? Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you, a, a, lot of, a lot of people do believe these things, but let me also tell you, there's not an ounce of truth to any of that. It's just not true in any shape or form. And this is why we need to understand that God is righteous and just. So grab your Bible if you've got it. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but um, go to Exodus toward the beginning of your, of your Bible very beginning. Exodus 34. And we're going to read verses 6 and 7. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. <clears throat> the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generations. So we've got this idea of abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, sin, disobedience, which we'll understand sin to be in a minute, immediately followed with the idea that God will by no means clear the guilty. In other words, there's no way he's going to sweep that dirt under the rug. It's just not going to happen. You see, because he is loving and righteous, then he must bring people to account and hold them responsible for their disobedience. If he lets us off the hook, so to speak, he'd be like a judge that lets a murderer go free. Right? There's no justice in that. There'd be an outrage, right, if that were to take place. Besides, who would want to serve a God like that? Who would want to serve a God that just sweeps injustice under the rug and doesn't hold anybody to account? If people are honest, nobody does. But here's the reality that we're facing that Greg Gilbert so perfectly states. He says this, Nobody wants a God who declines to deal with evil. They just want a God who declines to deal with their evil. That's what we're facing. That's the reality that we we have to come face-to-face with when we have these conversations with people. They just want a God who declines to deal with their own evil. But can we have it both ways? Right? It's not Burger King. Can't have it your way. I'm sorry. Scripture tells us that because God is righteous and just, that he's got to do this. Psalm 33, 5. God loves righteousness and justice. He loves it. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Think about that. Righteousness and justice, the foundation of God's throne. That's how important this is in understanding the characteristic of God. He's going to deal with evil. He cannot and will not sweep it under the carpet. And and, and here's the deal. This accountability and holding people to an account no way cancels out his love for us. We have to understand that too. Because if you're a parent, you can begin to understand a little bit of what's going on here. In that the most loving thing you can do for your child when they mess up is what? Discipline them. Hold them to account. You see, everybody in this room has seen the result of parents who refuse to hold their kids to an account, right? How fun is that for everybody? Right? It's like, oh my goodness. (laughs) This is a nightmare. Well, imagine a whole entire world (laughs) filled with people thinking that that's how they can just live their lives, do whatever they want, say whatever they want, live however they want, and not be held to an account. So how much more is the creator to his creation lovingly going to hold us to account? So so that's, that's part one that we need to understand, that God is a righteous and just creator who has the authority to tell us how we ought to live our lives and loves righteousness and justice so much that he's going to hold his people to an account. So that, that's part one. We good with that? Makes some sense? Okay, good. Let's move to the next story. What's, so what was the next word? I gave you God and then what? Man, let's build on that a little bit. Again, these words mean something. We're going to say, man, the perpetual sinner. 
Man, the ongoing sinner. Man, the perpetual sinner. The man who doesn't stop sinning. Ever. Got quiet. Got real quiet. It's going to get more quiet, I think, as I go on with this section. But it's because I love you. So the Bible calls this disobedience sin. So as you're walking this through, and, and, and many of you here, as I'm looking around, I know you, I know your stories, I know you understand the gospel, you have a grasp of it, you profess faith, you're a Christian. You're living it out. But you also need to have a very firm grasp of this so that you can communicate it clearly. So this is not just me preaching to you like, yeah, I know, I understand the gospel, I'm a Christian. Like, get off my back. No, this is for us to take and go with it. All right, so this disobedience, sin, we get that. Have you ever heard anybody say the gospel is offensive? It's offensive. Well, it, it is offensive. And, and do you know why? It points out sin. How many of you lo- love being pointed out that you're wrong? It's the opposite, right? Nobody on this planet likes being called out. It's just not fun. Quick side note, though. This is important. You, you, me, you are not calling anybody a sinner. You're not saying you're, you are a sinner because I said so. That's, that's not where we want to go with this because it can come across that way at, at times. What you're doing is you're directing them to the word of God that helps them to see themselves as a sinner. And that's an important distinction as you're having this conversation. So, man, the perpetual sinner. Where are we going to go in the scriptures to convince people that everybody on the planet is a sinner? Anybody? Genesis 3 would would help. Um, What's something more clear than that? Romans 3. Let's go Romans 3.23. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there or you can just... Look it up on your phone, or perhaps you have it memorized. If you don't, you, you ought to memorize this one. It's pretty, pretty short. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Period. That's, that's, the, that's the statement contained in, in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So to be super clear here, there's no escape clause. Okay? All means all. Nope, nobody is out of that category. But here's where people begin to fool themselves. And that is in the degree to which they see themselves as sinners. I think if you're in an honest conversation with people, they're willing to admit that, yeah, you know, I, I have messed up. They may be even willing to admit that they've broken some of God's commands. But humans have a funny way of discounting their disobedience to God. And so they label themselves as like, little sinners or minor sinners like there's such a thing right they say yeah 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 I, I occasionally mess up but generally I'm a good person generally I'm a good person this is where I may lose some of you because there is no such thing as a generally good person it's not a thing if The standard by which you are judging is God's standard. If we're going against God's standards, there is no generally good person. Doesn't exist. But most people aren't going by his standards. That's why they can be relatively confident in saying that, yeah, yeah, I'm a a, a generally good person. By whose standard? 
by the word of God or by the world's. However, you know, just like any other law of nature, um, it doesn't really matter what you believe. For example, if you are just convinced that the law of gravity is, is bogus and you jump off the roof, you're not going to float there because you don't believe the law of gravity exists. It doesn't, doesn't matter intellectually if you have an understanding of that. You jump off the roof, what's going to happen? Yeah, splat. <laughs> you're going to fall. That's why we've got to be very clear that it's not your standard. It's not your neighbor's standard. It's not the world's standard by which we're being held accountable. It is God's standard. And in that, we have all fallen short, whether we believe it or not. But, but what helps us, I think, get this, get to this place, I should say, of understanding is acknowledging the depth of sin in us. And this is, this is difficult. It's difficult to discuss. It's difficult to hear. There's nothing fun about this. But here's what I've got to say, that, um, man, we're, we're sinners. Not minor sinners. I would say not even major sinners. We're awful sinners. <laughs> we're bad. And I don't really even need to dig that deep, I don't think, to really understand the depth of our depravity. But, but I'm going to spend a little bit of time explaining it because it is important for you to understand it so that when you go walking somebody through this, you can clearly and without hesitation articulate this concept. I mentioned the idea of, of the gospel being offensive. And, and sometimes we, we, we do things that, that try to take the sting out of the gospel or you know, you know, round off those sharp edges to make the gospel more palatable or more uh, acceptable or easy to hear. Like you're trying to have this conversation with somebody, so you're like, eh, let me just find a way to make this easier for people. But here's the deal, man. It is not easy. <laughs> and, and then to downplay our condition as sinners before God is, is doing just that. It's trying to take out the sting or round the edges. But that's the part that pierces to the very soul of us. But when we do this, my friends, here's what happens. It cheapens the gospel. And it perverts the cross of Jesus. That's that's shameful. Like, Man, that's, that's serious stuff, guys. To be sure, though, it is the most difficult part of this conversation that we will have. We can talk about God and Creator. We may get into some debate about evolution and all these kinds of things. And we may talk on the back end about you know, Christ and who he is and our response to that. But the most difficult part of this conversation is always going to be this. The, the depth of the sin of human beings. We are not sinners because we sin, right? We sin because we're sinners. And there's an important distinction. We don't have a few isolated mistakes in an otherwise good and decent life. Wait for this plane to go over. And I love the illustration that um, Gilbert offers in his book. He uses the idea of this uh, flawless quartz sphere that's in the Smithsonian Washington somewhere. It's the largest one in the world that they've ever seen. It's about the size of a basketball. Flawless quartz spheres, beautiful. And so when we have the idea that we occasionally mess up in an otherwise pretty good track record, what that does is it 
it takes this beautiful crystal sphere and it, and, it, and it basically paints our sin as maybe some 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 mud or some dirt that's on the outside of this sphere. And all we got to do really is just clean it off real quick and then it's right back to its beautiful, perfect, flawless state. That that mud and that grime and that grit, it's just it's just a layer. But underneath, man, it is beautiful and perfect in every way. That's how some people see their sin. That would be the first example I gave about sinners because we sin. The other side of that coin, though, is that we sin because we're sinners. When we just think that we can wipe off the sin in our lives and that it's just going to be swept away, maybe even under the carpet, like it's not that big of a deal, that's a dangerous distortion of the reality that we face. And so, again, if you have your Bible, go over to, to Genesis, uh, no, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3. I told you this part was going to be a little bit heavier. Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 10. And this is what I want to show you, that this is not my, my ideals or principles that I think that we are sinners deep to the core of us, or I've heard somebody tell me one time that we are all sinners to the, the depths of who we are. This is Paul writing to us, to the Roman church, but to us as well. Romans 3, verse 10, as it is written, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yikes. Thanks, Paul. But essentially what's happening here, this leads right up to the very first scripture that we read in Romans, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you start there and you're like, well, you know, yeah, I messed up a little bit, but I'm generally a good person. Just back up a few verses and start at verse 10, and then we get to the truth of the matter. So hear me on this now. If we think of ourselves as anything else, we downplay the level of help that we truly need to be rescued from this desperate and dreadful position that we're in. But if we see ourselves as rebellious, awful sinners who are betraying our Creator, we begin, begin to understand why the death of Jesus was necessary for us to be redeemed and forgiven. And this is going to come into play more next week as we look into what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But as Christians, and I'm speaking to the majority here, as Christians, even though we have been rescued and redeemed, we still have this nature in us, and it still leads to this awful, sinful behavior. Can I get an amen? amen. It's not really something you amen on in church, but you know, I just want to make sure you're still paying attention. <laughs> even as redeemed children of God, we still have this awful sin behavior in us, and we all know it. The difference is, 
on this side of redemption, we're growing in Christ, and hopefully that is happening less and less as we become more like him and less like ourselves. We're growing and maturing to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Like we see that progression, and we're forgiven. It's under the blood of Jesus. That doesn't mean that it, it doesn't happen, though. I can remember in one of the first churches that we went to that I got saved in years and years ago, one of the pastors would say things to the extent like, yeah, I haven't sinned in like two weeks. Like, man, I'm just really doing great. I'm like, is that true? Like, because I know my life. <laughs> that guy's awesome. That guy's a liar, actually. And now I'm looking back 20 years. But <clears throat> yeah, you know, people think that. I'm a Christian now, so I'm not going to sin anymore. No, 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 no. But here's the thing. Our understanding of and appreciation of the gospel, it keeps us in proper mindset toward our sin and toward God. That's what we mean when we talk about rehearsing the gospel to ourselves. It reminds us how much help we continually need, how desperate we really are for what Christ achieved on the cross. And look, I know that this is all heavy and weighty, and some of you are just like sitting there going, oh, like, come on, uh, Give me something good. And so I, I can't just leave us hanging right there, even though we've covered the first two and we've got the two next week. I, I can't just stop there. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to bring us to a quick close by giving you a preview of next week. I'm going to give you a preview of next week. All right, so next week we're going to start with Romans 5.8 and those two awesome words. But God. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, rebellious, awful sinners, Christ died for us. So this is where the narrative shifts from that terrible, awful, horrible news to the greatest news that you will ever hear. So we've got God, man, Christ, the third piece of this. This is God's solution to our massive sin problem. So he made a way, God the Father did, through his son Jesus who came to the earth 2,000 years ago. You've heard this before probably many times. But put in this context, it's critical to understand. Lived a perfect life, free from sin. Gave his life on the cross as a ransom for the world. That word is important died in our place. He, he took our punishment, paid the penalty so that we didn't have to pay for it ourselves. Right? Purchased our forgiveness and our salvation with his blood, his perfect, sinless blood, the only thing that could do such a thing. I told you it's going to be quick. That's, that's the, the Christ peace, okay? Just a preview, but it's enough, I think. The last part, God, man, Christ, what's the fourth word? Response. That is our response. What do we do with this information? What do we do knowing that God is the righteous and just creator, knowing that man, all of us here, are the perpetual sinner who have been extremely disobedient and sinful offensive in our behavior toward God. But there's a penalty that comes with that. 
somebody's going to give an account for that, either us or we're going we're gonna to take Christ up on his offer for his own payment and sacrifice on our behalf. But we, we need to do something with that information. And if you go back to the beginning of this evening, I gave you a scripture verse that we started with, Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Two words. Repent and believe. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does the word repent mean? Change your mind. A lot of people use the example of, of turning the other way, like running the other way. That's not what this is. It's changing your mind. What are we changing our mind about? About us. Remember how, how we just walked through that whole process of, of explaining how sinful and awful we truly are and how I told you that nobody likes being called out? We change our mind about our sin about who we are, and about who who God is as righteous and just creator. We change our mind. And then believe. What are we believing in? Christ, right? Christ, our Savior. What he accomplished on the cross. It's not just a casual intellectual understanding, my friends. This kind of belief is a dependence. That we understand and believe that if Jesus didn't do what he said he did, we are dead. Like that kind of belief. Repent and believe in what Jesus did and accomplishing his death and resurrection. So look, these are the four parts of the gospel message. Two we explored tonight. Two more we're going to do next week. But I felt really compelled that we needed to have at least all the parts, even if just briefly in those last two sections. Because I want us to walk away this evening with a full understanding of the gospel picture. But, I, but next week we were going to hit um, Christ, the Savior, and our response of repenting and believing. So like last time I was up here two weeks ago, I, I just really, I pray that you would, you would take this information, this truth. Really examine your life and your heart. In the sense that, are you... Truly, truly relying on this in your day-to-day life? Are you understanding that there is a repenting and a believing, this ongoing need to continually fall to your knees and trust in your Savior every day? Because if you're not trusting in Him, who are you trusting in? Yourself. And we already know who we are. We just spent a long time talking about that. You want to trust that person? No, I don't. Yet we do. We're really good at convincing ourselves that we're okay to trust. You can trust me. can't. Don't do it. Another reason why we live in community, my friends, is so important to be in community. Because this is where we can hold each other to an account. Because we're good at letting ourselves off the hook. It's a lot harder for 40-something people around here to let you off the hook. Especially if we understand what we're talking about tonight. So I'm encouraging my friends, even though we're not meeting with life groups right now, we should be meeting together. We should be fellowshipping together. We should be asking each other the tough questions. How are you doing today? What are you studying in the Word of God? What are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? These things matter, my friends. This is what church is about. So let's do that. And let's build 
this gospel truth into what we're doing, influencing every area of our lives and seeing the fruit bear out of that for God's glory, for our good. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your good, good truth that you are the righteous and just creator and that in you, God, we have all that we need and, and, and then some. Lord, our prayer tonight is that you show us the areas in our lives that we, we've reserved for ourselves, that we've kept from you purposefully because we know what's there and we don't want you to deal with it. So I pray, Lord, that you would convict our hearts. Lord, if there are people here who have not yet repented and believed truly, would you through your spirit help them to understand their sinful nature. Their desperate need for a savior. And in Christ you offer it freely. You said all we got to do is repent and believe. Live a life pleasing to you in community. Lord, I'm so grateful for this church. I'm grateful for every human being that's sitting in these chairs here this evening. God, thank you for the work you've done in us. Thank you for the work that you will continue to do, Lord. And thank you for those that, God, that you will bring across our paths so that we can share this news, this incredible, fantastic news with Give us boldness to do that, Lord. This is somebody shared with us and changed our entire lives and our eternity. Lord, let us do the same. Help us in that, I pray. In Jesus' name.